Have you ever gotten up at 4 a.m., worked 16 hours for no pay, and gone to bed so tired you could barely walk, and you loved every minute of it? We did, and we'll tell you all about it when we come back. Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. We're going to share with you some information of what we did this weekend and how much fun we have and some folks we helped. But let me apologize for not being able to get out a podcast on Friday. We went to an area where I had somewhat anticipated being able to go up on a particular location and get internet access or cellular access, but we were not able to do that. So my apologies for missing Friday, and the newsletter will go out this afternoon instead of Friday afternoon. What did we do? Here's what we had. We had four days and three nights in a tent with 80 horses, ham radio operators and ham radios and 12 to 15 check stations and cell phones that don't work and no TV, no internet. And we want to share it with you. Now, who's our sponsor tonight? Today, our sponsor is Making Contact During Emergencies. It is the first book that Mark and I wrote, and it is information that may save your life if you're injured or lost in a disaster or other emergency. And this book will detail many different ways that you're able to get a message or some sort of contact between you and someone else so that you can receive help or make sure others get help. The book. Making Contact During Emergencies is available on Amazon and also from our website. And that does include a lot of information on ham radio, which we were using at the Yellowhammer Endurance Horse Ride. Chris, tell us about that horse ride. Well, the Yellowhammer, uh, which is a reference to the state of Alabama, because that's the Alabama state bird, is the Yellowhammer. So they have named this Alabama horse endurance ride the Yellowhammer endurance horse ride. And what this is, is uh, a series of horse rides that take place all over America. This one happens to be at the Talladega National Forest, specifically at the Coleman Lake Campground, a beautiful place, definitely out in some of the most gorgeous wilderness. Uh, Some of the roads even stop being paved. You get down to dirt trails and gravel roads in some of the places. Yeah, we had about 10 miles. Now, this was my fault. We took the shortest route instead of the quickest route, and (laughs) it took us across about nine miles of dirt road through the National Forest. And up on a ridge, and it got higher and higher, and then down off the ridge. And I mean, we were the only car on that particular road. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of fun coming in. But we uh, participate in this endurance horse ride, not as horse riders. We have absolutely nothing to do with the horses or the riders, other than the fact that we're assisting 
amateur radio operators because mm-hmm. Mark and I both have our licenses and can communicate on radio. And Mark, tell them why ham radio is a part of this event. Let's back up here and, and tell you what they have. They have a 75-mile ride. They have a 50-mile ride each day. And you can compete in one 50-mile ride, or you can do both for the 100-mile ride. There's also a 25-mile ride and a 10-mile fun ride. And it goes through the trails of the Penhody Trail, and there are horse trails cut through there. There are walking trails, hiking trails. In fact, there are a lot of hikers on the same trails that the horses are going across. And as we mentioned a while ago, cell phones don't work. Yes, you can't. Your cell phone will come on and then it'll freeze because there's no service. Yeah, the last place mine pinged was about 20 miles from me and it just kept telling me that the temperature was 88 degrees in that particular city and that was even if it was 65 degrees where we were. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it dropped off service completely. So there are really two primary purposes that we are there. One is for the safety of the participants, and that's whether it's horses or riders or volunteers. We are able to get communications throughout that park, and from that park, we can access a repeater in a nearby city that you cannot use with handy talkies and such in the park. And we have been able to get medical assistance. We've been able to get all kinds of things over the years by doing it that way. Now, here's how it works inside the park. We have that, what, 12 to 15 checkpoints throughout the woods? Yes, I mean like Alpha and Charlie, Delta. That's how we designate them, and and they go in not necessarily a particular order for everyone, but that particular loop has a series of check stations. And it gets switched up for what the routes are. So we have folks manning those. And then we have net control. Net control is there in the horse area. This is where the barn, stables, whatever are. All the trailers All the trailers come in. Mm -hmm. This is where the ride starts, where the finish is. It's also where you can go if you take your horse to do pleasure riding. And there were some pleasure riders that came through some of our checkpoints. It's no interruption to the park. They're just going in there and enjoying these same trails that you can enjoy. But it's also training for our operators. Yes, absolutely. It helps to know the process of how to communicate on what we call ham radio Mm -hmm. and how to process the information that we're gathering we're actually in a way cataloging and documenting the times that each rider passes through each successive station yeah and what this does in it at net control you handle a lot of traffic you got to have some training and some practice to be able to operate on what we call a net by being able to handle a lot of traffic And so net control receives these times and horse numbers, and it could be, you know, a star number, it could be a Lima number, it could be a two-digit number, 
And it could even be a Y number on this particular ride because this ride hosted the Junior Grand National Championship for the youth riders. Big deal for them. Right. There were seven participants in that mm-hmm. particular 75-mile single-day race. And, in fact, that was really the reason that we worked the net control so long because they they ride the horses and then they break for a time and rest the horses. They go back out to do like a second loop. They bring the horses back in. Veterinarians are stationed throughout the trails and also at headquarters mm-hmm. to pull any horse that may show injury or overheating or dehydration. Uh, some of the horses went out in the morning, but by about two o'clock, they pulled, some of the veterinarians pulled some of the horses that may have shown injury. Uh, and it can happen. You know, this, that's going to happen at every horse ride. A horse may be pulled for its own good to yes. come out of competition. If there's any way that it is lame, if it has any kind of injury, uh, they come in and they have a mandatory 50-minute hold. And during that time, they cool the horse down, they feed the horse, the vet checks the horse. There's a lot of things that go on in there. And then they go back on that second 25 mile and then they do it again and come back on the third. And it's just, it's a long process there. And it can be some grueling days, not only for the horses and the riders, but for some of these ham radio operators and Some of us are getting on up a few years on us, you know, a little long in the tooth (laughs) there. And we were not in air-conditioned buildings, and thankfully we were sitting under a tent. And most of those checkpoints, they put up a easy-up canopy tent. Yes, because not only were we at net control, we actually had the easier part. We Mm -hmm. did have some shade and were provided some some snacks and treats throughout the day by the horse ride officials. Uh, but our check stations, some of them were literally out on the trails. They could have been as much as five, maybe 10 miles away from us. Yeah, I think it's 11 miles from net control to it, hotel. Exactly. So there were times when we had to have, well, we called it DoorDash, but we had runners and, and drivers to take food out to our stations because they had to man some of these stations all day long as well, Yes, out in the woods. It became 16 hours of ham radio operation. And we had a ball. I mean, it's fun. We have our fun. We 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 reconnected with some good old friends, mm-hmm. and then we made some new friends as well. But just, you know, to try to hit a couple of highlights on some of the things that actually happened. Okay, let me explain something here, because oh, okay. somebody's sitting here going 11 miles on a walkie-talkie. You keep saying that won't happen. Well, there is a way to make it happen. Oh, yes. We shot a line. Actually, I didn't do the shooting, but a line was shot up into a huge pine tree and over a limb, and a J-pole and coax was pulled up 30-something feet up into the air, if not 40. Mm -hmm. And so we had elevation for that antenna. We had 50 watts of power on our radio. Now, there were some mobile radios being used out there, but a lot of folks were using handy talkies. Exactly. Especially if they were within five miles of net control because we've got that antenna up so high. 
So all of this could be done with a handy talkie as long as you have that antenna up as high as we did. And we've said that before, that antenna is the name of the game Mm -hmm. when it comes to amateur radio. Uh, You can have a very inexpensive radio, but if you've got an excellent antenna system, that makes all the difference on how well you're able to communicate and how clearly the contact comes back to you. Yes, and I did forget to mention this. Even the ones that were using handy talkies, uh, some of the officials had put up J poles at each of the check stations. Now it didn't happen for the one that was a half a mile away. Right, that wasn't necessary. That wasn't necessary. Any hand, any of our handy talkies would go that far, but there was a J pole that was pulled up around thirty feet in each one of those, and so they could connect that coax to their handy talkie. That made a huge difference. That the radio communication came in just like they were sitting mm-hmm. next to us. And it's not possible with that rubber duck stock antenna. Even with the upgraded antennas that we have mentioned, there's just no way you're going to get back unless you have some elevation to some type of an antenna. So we've talked about some J-poles. We've talked about some roll-up J-poles. And we'll be glad to help you in any way we can on that. There's a lot of information with that. But let's get away from the technical stuff and talk about some of the things that actually happened. Well, I was honored and privileged to be able to serve net control. And I was probably there about 90% of the time in the net control chair. And it was my second my second net control ever. But I had gotten very good training from those that are in the know, Mark being, in my opinion, the expert. Well, and Steve helped tremendously. Oh, absolutely. Tom helped a lot. And it was so much. Last year. It was so much. It was fun, but it was informative. And I learned so much more on this second net control because I was able to spend more time doing it. Well, let me give you some ideas of, of some of the things we encountered. So, like Mark said, we're receiving. We're receiving information. Net control calls a station. Net control will call station alpha. Station alpha, do you have any traffic to pass? Basically means, do you have any riders, horse riders and times to report to me? And they'll say yes or no. And so that we'll log, we have a scribe and we'll log that at, you know, at 0800, you know, such and such riders came through. Well, this is going on throughout the day, and this is actually, a, this documentation is vital because this is the documentation that the horse ride officials will also use in their record keeping. Well, so we're we're monitoring the radio. Net control actually gets to decide the timetable on when those reports can come Mm -hmm. in. And I learned that, and that was great, because that basically means I'll let the stations just kind of be on their own and relax. Some of them may go 30 minutes without seeing a rider. And so they can, you know, relax and have a snack or whatever. And then when I'm ready for a report, they know that I'm my call is coming. Mm-hmm. My call may be coming in at 1530, which is 330 in the afternoon. I let them know that I'm going to be calling for a report. Well, we're getting calls from stations out of the report time. And they'll say things like, uh, you know, Station Charlie is reporting that their water supply for the horses is getting low. Uh, you know, obviously they're going to have water and food supplies at these various stations. And that's the horse riding officials that are responsible for that. But how are the horse riding officials going to know if they're not out there? 
how much water we need. So the station will call net control and report to me, hey, we need that water supplier to come out to this station and bring us water. And so because that information's on the radio, the other stations can also hear that. They'll call in and say, hey, listen, if you're going to station Charlie, why don't you stop by station Mike? And then Oscar station says, hey, stop by Oscar. We're getting low too. And here's what's happening. Because of amateur radio and our ability to hear each other, knowing that the water supplier is headed out, that the practical and reasonable thing to do is bring enough water to supply all of the stations. Well, you know, that's a vital piece of information because when they lose their water supply, they don't have a river or creek they can just run to. They're out there in the forest and there aren't that many large water supplies on the same trails that these riders Mm -hmm. are going to. So having water supplied was a very important aspect and our radio contact Made that possible. And we had another one where this year a horse got in trouble. Well, we were we were receiving our reports. We had called a certain station, and, and they said, uh, yes, at such and such time, these riders came in, and they said, and also they gave the number L27 horse. We thought, well, that's odd because basically L27 is generally a horse and a rider. You know, that's the assumption. And they said, no, that's not what happened. We had a little excitement. They said, L27 horse with no rider came in with this group. And then they quickly explained, evidently the saddling had become loose, had slipped. The rider had slipped off because the saddle literally went upside down Mm -hmm. on the horse's body. The rider safely jumped off. The horse got ahead. And so the rider was just a few steps behind, and they got all reconnected and all tightened back up. Everybody's fine, no harm, no foul. But we all we at first we were a little concerned, and then we thought, okay, this a is, lot of a lot know. of folks jumped up. We, when, we jumped when he up because we had a riderless horse. We, come yeah, through. our first thought was we've got a, a rider down out there in the woods, and so we're getting ready to go, and then. What he said is the the rider came through a minute later and caught the horse, and so <laughs> right. was able and then to was able everything. to explain that and they were explain that they but were the safe. one I'm talking about is that they requested that a horse and rider be picked up. That's right. Another one as the day became warmer and the sun got hotter, and uh, a call came in that we had a rider and a horse both, Mm -hmm. that were showing signs of dehydration and serious um, concern. And so at that point, they have to dispatch a trailer for the horse. We dispatched a truck and a trailer. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, she had to walk a mile to get to the road where we could pick her up. Right. That's how remote some of these trailheads can be. And we would go a different way. We have uh, ATVs down there uh, to be able to get to the trails so we can drive every section of the trail but you can't do that with a huge horse trailer behind the truck and so we told them that the ambulance had been dispatched which was a giant horse trailer to pick up mm-hmm. the horse and, the and so in in just a few minutes the the trailer and the truck you know entered into camp the veterinarians sprang into action there were also human medical teams mm-hmm. and they got them the proper fluids that they needed and they were fine yep. you know and so ham radio again is the single and only reasonable form of communication from that distance you know these 
the camp people, the people in the camp had their own walkie talkies. And we know that those range that we're talking about the half kind that you'd buy from Walmart. Right. Half, half a mile. If you're lucky, if you're straight line, you might get a mile out right. of it, but there's a lot of hills and trees down there. And so, you know, they're basically going from campsite to campsite with those walkie talkies, but we had to be able to cover some distance. And so that's what we were doing down there with ham radio. But while we were there, since we had four days, three nights in a beautiful location, cost us $16 a night. Yeah, I know. And it was well it worth was it. It was well worth it because with the campsite, now you can camp for free down there anywhere you want to, but if you want electricity and water provided, it's $16 a day. And since I'm on a CPAP and we like to have you know our phones charging or our uh, – this time it was more charging our handy talkies every night mm-hmm. to carry with us because if we walked away from net control, we carried an HT with us in case we were needed. So we had the opportunity to practice some prepper skills. Now we've talked about communications and we did have some radio issues. We had one station that started good mm-hmm. and then throughout the day we noticed that the volume of their sound was decreasing the intermittent ability to even connect. Mm -hmm. There were times when I was responding, they weren't hearing it. They were responding. I wasn't hearing it. So we had quickly identified there was a battery issue and a radio issue with that particular station. We, they quickly identified it and then made some remedies. And then on the next day it was right as rain, Perfect and beautiful. Yeah, and actually what they did was they switched from the mobile radio they were using to a handy talkie, and they applied the two is one, one is none. So they had about six radios out there with them. Exactly. They could have made contact, but this was an opportunity to find out we've got a problem with this mobile radio. So they were able to correct that issue. (laughs) And another one, this one was just kind of funny. They thought that Krista was just not responding to them because they were mad and um (laughs) what had happened we actually uh, she called them six or eight different times leaving a minute or so well 30 seconds or so between and then got down to calling about every 10 seconds and they're not answering so the ic the incident commander the guy that's over all of the volunteers and the ham radio operators is what it is he's the top guy on that he jumped in a truck and he headed out down there and he's screaming into where they are and they realize he's flying down the road and they check the radio and they're on the wrong channel, the wrong frequency. And I think one of them also had just take, had ended, accidentally taken the volume button down. I mean, it's something that simple, mm-hmm. but the, the concern we had, I was calling the station and getting zero response. Exactly. And these people were the furthest out, mm-hmm. you know, the furthest away from us. And so our concern there was. We may need to get medical help or something. We, yeah. There. When you don't hear anything back from an active station, obviously we're thinking the worst. So. We had the one that turned the volume down. We had the one that was on the wrong frequency. And so there were just a lot of things like, oh, don't do that. Be real careful with this. I mean, we're all human. It can happen to anybody. It can happen. But it's an opportunity to practice. And we preach practicing, especially with, you know, the critical thing. That was just something that we did. And I didn't mean to go this far back down into communications, but... 
Some of the other things that we got to do was practice alternative things. Right, because we were camping, we were tent camping in the National Forest. Well, obviously, we had to set up our shelter. So mm-hmm. we had a brand new, never before used. We had just purchased it. Uh, it's a that's considered a ten person tent. Now you say just purchased it. We actually purchased it about six months ago. Well, it's our first time to. It was the first go, time but, we ever took it out of the box. Right. So. so we we were in in a new tent, but that gave us alternative shelter, mm-hmm. and we had to have alternative lighting. We had the power coming in to charge radios, and for running a CPAP, we ran no lighting on the commercial electricity. Right. We brought our own LED lanterns, battery-powered lanterns. They had adjustable brightness. We used them inside the tent. We used them outside the tent. Uh, and so that's very super handy. Mm-hmm. And we also carried a flashlight on us in, in the nighttime. Actually, I carried mine daytime, too. But, you know, we went down to the portalettes. You needed them inside. Well, you did, yes. I mean, we were we were in a a commercial camp site it had concrete pad it had the electrical box it had the crank you know crank up handle water accessibility and then but beyond this the spotlights that were there it was dark in that forest and that forest was full of critters <laughs> yes, it, well, it we was. heard them off the little tree frogs and the bullfrogs and i don't know something was walking around our tent you were asleep but i heard some little critter walking around on that gravel i know i did oh yeah so we had an opportunity to make sure and practice with our our lighting. Uh, We set up a little battery-operated fan in the tent Mm -hmm. to be able to stir some air, and we carried those battery-powered lanterns. But we also practiced our, or you practiced our alternative cooking in that you cooked on our camp stove. Well, you actually helped, too. We have a little two-burner. Well, I got uh, it out of the Jeep and set it on the table. Well, you got it started. You actually you actually made it. So uh, we have a two-burner camp stove that is a tabletop, and so there's a little propane bottle that powers it. And I'll tell you, it heats up quick. It heats up fast. Our percolating coffee pot, we've got one of those metal camp, you know, enameled coffee pots. Put and it, it makes Put it on the stove or on the fire type. Yeah, it boiled over. We got a little hot, but it, it makes such good coffee, but, doesn't it? Yeah, and it makes it so quickly. And so if you're into this kind of thing and you like your coffee and you want to be able to use coffee or have coffee when the lights go out, get you a camp percolator. I think I paid like 15 bucks for that. And Oh, it's a, it's a Jim Dandy. Yeah, and I mean, it's metal and it's, uh, I don't know, enamel coated, ceramic coated, something coated on it. And it folds down to not much bigger than a briefcase. The, the stove, I mean. Oh, I'm talking about the coffee pot. I'm sorry. You're still talking about the coffee I'm pot. I'm talking about the coffee pot. Let's talk about important stuff here. <laughs> coffee is pretty high valued mm-hmm. in this house. And we practiced our fire starting. We both started a fire, mm-hmm. and we had kind of damp tinder that we were starting. We did have a little bit of a rain last you know, we, night. We had three little showers. Mm-hmm. And so the, the tinder was a little damp, but both of us got a fire started. And going, and but we do need to do some practice with that. It took both of us a little bit longer than it should, even with the damp tender. We should have been able to get that going even faster. Now, because we had worked this very same event at the very same time last year, we brought our alternative heating, our big buddy, our Mr. Buddy 
heating source. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So, because last May of 2021, when we woke up in that morning, it was 40 degrees, mm-hmm. maybe even 38, because it was a bit. I mean, we could see our breath, and there was frost on the ground, and we were not prepared for that cold. There was not cold. a lot of difference in the temperature outside the tent and inside the tent. Exactly. So this year, we were prepared to say, hey, listen, if we run into the same temperature situation where it's 89 degrees in the day, but 40 at night, we'll have our indoor safe heater. Well, turns out. Our weather was perfect on this trip. We never ran that heater. Mm-hmm. It never got below about 64. I would say it was very pleasant in the evening. Yeah, very pleasant. And in the mornings, I mean, we were up and at net control before daylight. Mm-hmm. It was very pleasant then, and it was very pleasant up till about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And then we needed some alternative cooling. Right. So there was... Um, at our net control station, there was electricity there, obviously. Mm-hmm. So uh, our incident commander had also brought a box fan. So we did have a box fan running, and we were in the shade under the Easy Up tent. Mm-hmm. Now, we were not in what you call air-conditioned cool, but we were comfortable. So we did have an alternative cooling uh, there as well with the and fan. And when we go back, we're going to take a small fan for inside the tent now the little battery fan just didn't move as much air as we want to move so well, we're going to yeah. take a bigger fan for that we do need it and we're going to take a couple of box fans that either we can use at net control we can use in our campsite at night and one thing that using a box fan moving that air is that it will keep mosquitoes away from you right which there's one thing I would say is that if you carry your prepping equipment, use it. We did pretty good the first day, mm-hmm. but we forgot to put on bug spray the second day, and we're both. I'm sitting here scratching right yeah. now. We the mosquitoes kind of got to us a little bit last night, especially. So that's just a few things that we planned on. We plan to change. We plan to add. And we're making a lot of notes. And you want to share with them your toddler potty (laughs) upgrade? Yeah, you're going to laugh at this. Some of you that have been regular listeners over the last few weeks, you have heard our wild and crazy stories about the toddler potty. Okay, so we took toddler potty on this trip, but here's what we did. Obviously, we've just told you we're going to be tent camping. Well, what's the deal with the toddler potty? I didn't want to have that toddler potty inside our sleeping tent. We already had that, you know, we had a big queen-size air mattress in there, and it was taking up a lot of room. So I purchased a, they call it a shower stall. It's basically tent material that's like a one-person size. It's probably about five feet square at the bottom and about, three and a half feet square that it's kind of like a tall obelisk and yeah, you and, and it's made for like the sun shower yeah you could it has a little hook in the back and you could actually use it as a shower like a camp shower but it's completely covered we were too close to neighbors we were about a hundred feet through the woods from any neighbor but that's you know most of us can see that far and so we didn't exactly. want to be using the toddler party <laughs> you did it, it again. Toddler <laughs> party, and that's been the joke. Well, right now we we had access to a, a you know a commercially built bathroom with a shower, and they are very nice. But they were far enough away from our campsite that we would have 
had to get in the Jeep and drive to them. Mm -hmm. Now, at three in the morning, when nature is calling, you're just not going to jump in the car and go driving up there. So we set up one of our camp chairs, put the toddler potty in the camp chair for comfortable seating, and had it located at the rear tent. Our tent has a front door and a back door. And so at our back door, I could go out of there when I need to, and I could enter my little covered tent, my one-person tent that had the chair in it, and in the chair was the toddler potty. I could take care of business. I could deal with what was going on there. Uh, No harm, no foul. Nobody uh, in the campers next door to us, some of those had those fifth wheels and and class A's and things. They, They could see nothing. I had complete privacy, and it was just a comfort level for me because before that we didn't have anything but mother nature mm-hmm. you know to to address and i tell you you don't want to be walking around in woods full of poison ivy looking for a place to squat okay <laughs> i said it so this time we had our own little private outhouse basically and i'll tell you game changer yeah anything else you want to add Well, uh, we're happy to be home, but I will tell you that we had a blast. This particular event was even more fun than last year. We were more prepared on this trip. And on the next one, we'll be even better prepared because we're making exit strategy notes. Something I suggest you do as you depart, whatever your vacation, your event, your experience, make your own little set of exit notes to remind yourself of what you've learned and how you'll do it better next time because stuff happens. Not only do you have to stay prepared, you have to learn new preparedness. And we'll see you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. Hopefully you've learned something, picked up a tip, or something we said may have triggered a thought that'll help you in your prepping journey. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode, and share it with your friends and family. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.